Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're recording both of these segments simultaneously today, and that's because this is once again a story that doesn't require a very detailed introduction. It's on the international reaction now to the Delhi riots that took place last week and to the larger issue of the amended citizenship law, the Citizenship Amendment Act. We have the more immediate news peg now of the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights filing an application in the Supreme Court yesterday, an unprecedented step by the international body. So there's no better time, I think, to discuss these issues. And joining me today on the podcast is the Hindu's Diplomatic Affairs Editor, Suhasini Haider. Suhasini, hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jayant. Always a pleasure to be here. Right. So let's just start with the application filed yesterday by the UN Human Rights Commissioner. An unprecedented step, as I mentioned earlier. Did anybody have any inkling, any kind of sign that something like this was in the offing? Right. Uh, absolutely. In fact, unprecedented would be almost an understatement because we spoke to former diplomats, including uh, former envoys to the UN, and they all said that they don't remember something like this. Now, it's not as if the OHCHR, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, does not intervene in other cases. There have been cases in Mexico, in South America, uh, where we have seen them trying to intervene in domestic courts. Um, but this is the first time the Indian uh, legal system has, has, has seen an intervention right from the top of the uh, UN human rights um, body. Uh, now, what the, uh, uh, the Human Rights Commissioner is essentially saying, and this is Michelle Bachelet herself, uh, is saying that she would like the courts to implead her as a, an assistant, an amicus curiae, who will uh, assist the court on uh, the matters of where India's commitments on human rights uh, might be called into question when it comes to the Citizenship Amendment Act. Uh, uh, and, and they are focusing primarily on the discriminatory aspect or what they call the discriminatory aspect of the Citizenship Amendment Act, the idea uh, that it only pertains to uh, specific religions and to specific uh, um, minorities from only three countries. Um, uh, so, th- so this is the case that uh, she hopes to file. Remember, they haven't yet filed it in the courts, but they expect to uh, do so shortly. And um, uh, a- a- and obviously, it is something that's caused uh, quite a lot of upset uh, in New Delhi. The Mi- Ministry of External Affairs has said foreign bodies have no locus standi. Even petitioners in the case, like um, former Ambassador Deb Mukherjee, who's a petitioner in the anti-CAA cases. There are about 22 such petitioners uh, who are being clubbed together. He himself said to us that uh, this seems, uh, you know, unwarranted. We would rather this be a case about an Indian law dealt with domestically without this international intervention. But I think what you are seeing is a very considered uh, move by the United Nations. You asked, has there been an inkling of it? Certainly, it would seem that statements that have been coming from the UNHRC uh, and have been coming from the Office of the High Commissioner over the last few years, this is not just about CAA, seem to indicate that the human rights body wants uh, India to respond to them, to show some kind of uh, you know, accountability because we've seen unprecedented things like uh, the, the reports on Kashmir human rights as well that came out two years in a row. 
Uh, so this would be one more step in what seems to be an attempt by the Human Rights Council uh, to somehow put India on the spot. Okay, and you know, we spoke, I think, a few weeks back also, and this goes back to when the CAA was introduced in Parliament about how it was training India's diplomatic capital around the world. How much of a step, I mean, a step like this, the UNHRC actually, you know, filing this application in the Supreme Court, how much more damage does that do um, to the international image that India has? Well, look, and I remember what one of the things we discussed is one of the biggest damages that is happening is that Indian foreign policy is taking a backseat to a kind of firefighting operation over the CAA, over Kashmir, uh, now over the Delhi riots, because um, there is so much international commentary that you really can't keep saying that, oh, this is an internal matter. You have to at some point respond to the kind of commentary that is being made in capitals around the world. Um, and uh, and so I, I do think it continues to have that kind of impact on uh, uh, Indian foreign policy in the last week alone. Uh, we've seen uh, several, um, uh, several, uh, uh, you know, sort of comments being made and responded to. Uh, India uh, called in the Ministry of External Affairs, summoned the Iranian ambassador to complain about a comment made by Iranian Foreign Minister Javed Zarif about the Delhi riots. Um, we've seen in Indonesia and Jakarta, the Indonesian Foreign Ministry called in the Indian ambassador there, Pradeep Singh Rawat, to. Uh, Pradeep Kumar Rawat to discuss um, uh, the Delhi riots and express concerns about them. Uh, so we're seeing this kind of uh, concerns being expressed and India's having to respond to it happening everywhere. Now the OHCHR was one more such place. Uh, remember there is a background, Michelle Bachelet in her opening comments at that 43rd session of the UN Human Rights Commission in, uh, in Human Rights Council in uh, Geneva on February 27th. Uh, devoted two paragraphs of her speech to the concerns over India. One paragraph was really about Jammu and Kashmir. And then she spoke about what she called were great concerns uh, in India. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, was also in Pakistan last month, but has separately spoken about the risk of statelessness that comes out, uh, I presume, not so much from CAA, but uh, the NRC or the NPR that would follow. Uh, so this is becoming a recurring theme. It would seem that uh, this is what our diplomats are working with most of the time. And remember, they they have a lot of very, very serious other issues. They have to deal with the coronavirus um, uh, threat. They are dealing with the uh, impact of the Afghan Taliban situation and the U.S. Taliban agreement. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, a very large chunk of their time is being spent on dealing with explaining the Indian domestic situation. And this petition is only going to make it more so. Now, from what I understand, because uh, in January, uh, the same court, the Supreme Court, in fact, Chief Justice Bobde had uh, referred to the center a similar sort of petition that had come from a UN special rapporteur uh, on refugees when it came to uh, when it came to the Rohingya. Uh, cases in the Supreme Court. At that time, it was simply sent to the center and is awaiting a response from the center. Let's see how the Supreme Court deals with this one. Right. And I also just wanted to get a sense of how much what happened in Delhi last week has actually moved the needle here. Um, this goes back to the question we were discussing about there was already some statements, some pressure on India when, um, you know, over objections to the kind of law that uh, the Citizenship Amendment Act is. Um, and following what happened in Delhi last week, ha has there been more urgency in that kind of response from around the world? 
Well, I certainly think, you know, sometimes what happens is you see a public narrative building and that public narrative is now just adding what we have seen in the Delhi riots, the allegations uh, of uh, not just police inaction, but complicity uh, in some of the mob violence uh, as becoming a part of the larger story that perhaps began after the actions over Article 370, the restrictions that we saw in Jammu and Kashmir, then seemed to pick up steam again after the Citizenship Amendment Act. Uh, we've seen uh, various foreign governments as well as foreign bodies like the European Union talking specifically about the action on protesters, you know, uh, the uh, European Parliament resolutions which were discussed but have not yet been voted on, uh, actually discussed even the specific incidences of um, uh, police violence against protesters in, in colleges. Uh, so we're seeing every little bit of this kind of adding into the international narrative. Now, I, I, I don't suggest that uh, the media is the only person driving this narrative, but it is clear to see that the international media is picking this up as a sort of running theme. Uh, the government has complained in the case of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, uh, we actually saw an FIR being registered against Wall Street journalists, uh, Wall Street Journal uh, reporters who were involved in, in covering the Delhi riots on a specific issue of the Ahmadmi Party councillor, Tahir Hussain. So we're seeing that the government is now having to respond to international uh, coverage as well. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, this has been, as I said, a kind of uh, running theme. Is it something the government is worried about? Uh, I would think so. And, and I think we're seeing signs of that already in the kind of reactions that are coming from inside the government itself. Um, and then you have the reactions from the political party, uh, the ruling party, um, when uh, the presidential contender for the Democrats, Bernie Sanders, put out a tweet uh, a, a week ago about... Uh, actually criticizing President Trump for not having raised the Delhi riots was, while he was in Delhi, the response we saw, uh, which was a tweet which was later deleted, came from the BJP's organizational general secretary saying, don't push us uh, into, um, into having to, uh, to react in some way. In fact, he suggested that uh, India could take a, a role in, a, play a role in the American elections as well. Um, but you're seeing that kind of response now. So we are beyond the point, Jayant, where people said, we don't need to answer these questions because it's all Indian uh, internal matters. That was the, the running uh, line that we'd see from the Ministry of External Affairs for months. Now we're seeing that it is clear that the government feels it has to respond. Okay, and so one important point that I think we should cover is that, you know, we, we talk, we're talking about the UN, we're talking about opposition, you know, statements made in the, in the US, in the EU. But how has this really strained our relationship in our immediate neighborhood um, in terms of, you know, reaction coming in now to both the Delhi riots and the CAA? You know, Jayant, I'm glad you asked that question simply because I think this is the untold part of the entire story. Uh, any kind of reaction from the United Nations, from, um, from UN bodies, from uh, America or from Europe has been given a lot of play. Uh, but the real impact, I think, is being felt in the neighborhood. Remember the two countries, even if you forget uh, the, our neighbor to the West, Pakistan, which has spent all its time, all its effort in the last few months to somehow criticize India, to liken Prime Minister Modi to various dictators and all the rest of that. Um, and India has responded quite directly to Pakistan on that. The truth is, 
uh, that two neighbors who have been steadfast supporters of Indian policy have been Bangladesh and the Maldives. Um, in fact, uh, Prime Minister of Bangladesh, Sheikh Hasina, even defended India at the OIC meeting last year on the issue of Kashmir, said this is not something we should be discussing. It's India's internal matter. The Maldivians have been the first to come out and back India on several uh, issues. But we are seeing that internally these leaders are now being questioned by their populations, which happen to be majority um, uh, uh, Muslim, uh, and asking why is it that you aren't responding when India's minorities seem to be under some kind of threat. Uh, now, those are political movements in their countries that are being affected by what is happening inside India. Not the least because one of the countries in the Citizenship Amendment Act from which persecuted uh, minorities um, are being uh, fast-tracked for citizenship in India is Bangladesh. Um, so I think um, the, these are being, uh, these are in, in a sense not being heard as much as they should. Bangladesh has since December uh, held off the, the visits of at least four senior leaders. The most recent was the Speaker of Bangladesh's Parliament, Jatya Shanshat, was, um, uh, was, uh, has called off her visit to India. Um, we saw earlier the Foreign Minister, the Deputy Minister, um, the Home Minister as well calling off visits to India. Uh, these are th these are warning signs that should be regarded quite closely in Delhi. I think they are being regarded. Uh, the Foreign Secretary Harshringla made one of his first visits abroad uh, there to Bangladesh to speak to the leadership there. Prime Minister Modi is expected to go to Bangladesh um, later this month. But it's these are certainly uh, areas of concern. What are some of the other areas where India's domestic policy seems to be having an impact? On the uh, on, on on its uh, diplomacy, I think uh, one of the one of the real big uh, challenges is the fact that all these issues, as we've been discussing, which are domestic issues, after all, a law that has been passed in in India's parliament should be seen as an internal issue, and yet these are all being internationalized to the point every incident inside India is now a matter of international commentary in a way we've never seen before. Let's remember that not since 1971 has Kashmir ever been discussed at the UN Security Council in any shape or form. And yet, in the last year, we've seen it being discussed twice. Um, similarly, resolutions in parliaments around the world, uh, discussions in the UK parliament, discussions in the EU parliament, in the US Congress, and at various UN bodies are of an unprecedented nature. So this internationalization, I would say, is the second biggest challenge after the region. And the third is how are international Islamist terror groups really looking at the situation and seeing whether they have opportunities to perhaps cause rifts inside India. Uh, the fact is that these uh, pan-Islamic movements like Al-Qaeda and ISIS have never succeeded in India. In fact, the numbers of, of Indians uh, even being slightly radicalized by these groups is negligible. It's, be, it's below statistics, actually. Um, even so, the worry remains that they, they find more fodder uh, for the kind of terror they wish to spread. Uh, so I think these are all issues that have become larger issues in the last eight months since we saw uh, in August the government's uh, position on Kashmir and then after that a series of other decisions. And these are having an impact on, uh, on India's diplomacy. Right. So everything you described, Suhasini, actually goes against what happened during Mr. Trump's visit, where he basically gave India a clean shit and said it's it's um, it's an internal matter. And I hope I think he said that I hope India does the best for its citizens or something like that. So what do you make of that? 
No, you're absolutely right. Um, um, uh, president Donald Trump came here from the United States. The first time a U.S. president has made a visit to India where uh, he it's a single visit without any stops anywhere else um, and gave a speech and gave uh, at least two public uh, comments where he referred to Prime Minister Modi as someone who believes in religious freedom, praised India for the religious amity within India um, and actually made no references to the Delhi violence that was happening while he was in Delhi. Um, and I think that's important to, to note that the U.S. has decided, at least the U.S. Trump administration has decided to cast its lot in uh, with India and been, uh, and been steadfast about the fact that they will not be criticizing India publicly. However, if you remember, just before Mr. Trump came to India, uh, one of his senior officials briefing said, these are all areas of our concern, human rights violations, uh, as well as discriminatory laws, as well as restrictions on people, internet shutdowns and all the rest, and we will be raising them. Uh, with India. I think that means two things. One, that even if the US is raising them with India, they're doing it behind closed doors and they don't want to do that publicly, which is a, an important thing for the, for the Indian government. Uh, the second is that even within the US government, there is an understanding uh, that these concerns will not just be brushed under the carpet, that they will continue the dialogue with India on it. As I said, India is engaging the world in many ways on these domestic issues, but you can't take away from the fact that this is perhaps the most sustained, uh, unprecedented sort of barrage of international concern about India's issues. Okay, and perhaps we should end where we started, which is the, um, where do you see this, this petition by the Human Rights Council going? Um, do, would they actually have any locus to intervene? Well, I think the first thing is that they have to, it has to be filed. So far, we have uh, comments um, confirming from the OHCHR and from the Ministry of External Affairs that, that, uh, that the petition to become an amicus curiae is about to be filed. Uh, once it is filed, I think it will be scrutinized for any kind of um, errors and, uh, and then uh, will be presented before the court, at which point the court has to decide whether to reject it outright, to hear out some of these um, arguments. I think uh, there is a basic difference between how Indian constitutional experts see this and how clearly the UN uh, human rights body is seeing this, because the human rights body is saying India has certain commitments to the UN which it has signed on to when it comes to human rights in particular, when it comes to discrimination in particular. And we want to apprise the court of that, which is why we have a say here. Um, and Indian constitutional experts are saying essentially that the Indian constitution remains supreme. Not even the United Nations can come to a domestic court and raise these issues. If they like, there are international courts they can go to. But certainly in a domestic court, uh, we've had former solicitor generals and others say, that they don't think that this is uh, something that will stand in court. And do you have a sense of uh, how this has been covered in the international media and the international press, uh, the fact that the UN has chosen to intervene in this manner? Well, you know, this is essentially a technical matter. And the interesting thing is that it is the government uh, that first put out word about this petition uh, coming to the fore. It was the Ministry of External Affairs that came out uh, talking about the fact that uh, the, the OHCHR was going to file this plea. Um, I think the, the, the rest of the international media perhaps will come to it a little uh, after the actual petition is filed. Um, but there is no question that there are few examples of the uh, UN uh, High Commissioner behaving in this very proactive manner uh, with any country. And it is going to raise some eyebrows internationally as well. Okay, so Asni, we'll continue to keep a track of this. And thank you, as always, for joining us and giving us your time. Perfect. Thanks again, Jen. Thanks for having me on.